Hello and welcome to the Finergo FinTalks podcast, where we connect you to the latest in regtech, compliance, and anti-money laundering activity. My name is Dan Nesigadu, and I'm your host. Today we're talking about all things perpetual KYC. It's been one of the biggest words in compliance for years now, and we're getting to grips with what it really consists of and how to interpret the regulations around it. Today I'm joined by Rory Doyle, Head of Financial Crime Policy at Finergo. Hi Rory, thanks so much for joining me today. Hello, thank you for having me. Great to see you. Yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've gained such in-depth knowledge on the Know Your Customer process and Petrol KYC in general? So I've been working at Fenergo for six years in the Fin Crime and Regulation Department. Uh, before that, I've 25 years experience in the financial industry and legal firms. So um, previous to Fenergo, I was head of compliance for Europe and Asia for one of the largest offshore law firms in the world. Um, for that, I spent three years as uh, vice president of investor onboarding with Brown Brothers Harriman. Um, I was deputy MRO for JP Morgan in Ireland. And um, before that, I worked in various uh, AML and ongoing review departments uh, uh, around the city. Quite a vaunted career, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 25 years is a long time in think crime, and I'm still alive. Yeah. 25 years of pure compliance knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so specifically about uh, your customer process, uh, is that something you got to grips with quite a bit then, I guess, as Deputy MRO at JP Morgan Ireland and all your other roles? Yeah, I think it's um, something that we'll, we'll probably discuss a little bit more in depth during during the interview is, is around how good uh, financial institutions are at the, at the actual investor onboarding. Um, even if they're using paper files or Excel spreadsheets, they tend to, um, you know, it's, it's been their bread and butter of getting their clients on board. The quicker you get a client on board, the more money you can make from them. So it's in their interest to have an efficient process. Um, and I think we'll, we'll see that contrasting when we talk about uh, ongoing reviews, uh, perpetual KYC, which is keeping a file uh, or an investor or a client uh, current and correct and in line with the various legislations around the world. So, I mean, there are a lot of KYC terms. I mean, there's ongoing, there's customer monitoring, there's onboarding, there's so many different KYC terms themselves just around everything. Can you just quickly define perpetual KYC for the audience? Sure. Well, perpetual KYC is the ongoing process of updating and verifying customer information. Instead of conducting uh, chronological periodic KYC reviews, I suppose usually PKYC requires implementation of automated systems and processes powered sometimes by uh, artificial intelligence, which is uh, a very uh, on-trend word and expression at the moment. Yeah, yeah so it's... It's a lot going on there with just one term. Um, I guess there there are a lot of different types of KYC we talked about there, right? There's lots yeah. of types of ongoing KYC as well. So we've got chronological, we've got trigger, and we've got PKYC. And then, then there's the whole relationship between chronological KYC and trigger KYC. Can you just kind of explain to us why all these different types matter? So to me, chronological KYC is really just about... Picking a time frame for your clients. So once every five years, I'm going to check them if they fit this specific risk profile. Once every three years, once every year. Uh, maybe if they're if they're a PEP and there's just been an election, maybe when there's an election, election event, but that'd be more of a trigger issue. So how do these different types of KYC all kind of interact with each other? And which one's most important? Well, I suppose 
uh, if you're looking from a, a European standpoint and we have a look at the, the new uh, proposals for uh, the uh, AML package uh, going through the EU legislation at the moment, um, one of the items coming out of it, one of the, 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 the groundbreaking the, the frameworks is that um, you must review a client file or an investor file or somebody you're, you're doing business with if you're a financial institution uh, at, a at a minimum of every five years. Now, the vast majority of financial institutions have a risk, obviously has a risk-based approach. So they tend to, the higher the risk of a client, the more times they will review it. Um, and once you start getting into tier one and tier two in, uh, financial institutions, you'll see that, the, that there is um, a combination of trigger based uh, KYC reviews along with chronological KYC reviews. So not only do you sign off your file on a one, three, five year basis for for risk, for example, uh, for low, medium and high risk, for example, you will also um, have some form of trigger based review if something happens. So, for example, if somebody gets elected to parliament, you may have a trigger based review because you're, you're moving the client up to a, to a higher risk category. If somebody's been convicted of financial crime, you'll have a, a similar review. Or even if um, through your uh, investigation, somebody has changed or they've informed you of a change of beneficial ownership or a change of control you would uh, possibly have a trigger-based review. And, and the reason being, you don't want to get to the end of your five-year cycle or your three-year cycle and your one-year cycle and find that you've got a, a, you know, a lot of work to do. Um, what you want uh, you know, primarily is to have a file in as good order as possible um, for that um, chronological review, for that sign-off. And that's something... Uh, regulators, when they come in for an inspection of, of your financial institution, will, will, will take into account when they review your uh, their selection of files. Right. And uh, I'm just going to be very careful about how I phrase this because this is obviously not advice that I'm asking you for. But the relationship between chronological reviews and trigger reviews seems to me quite an interesting one because, say, say an MP has just been elected to Parliament. Um, but they were coming up, and so that, that triggers a trigger review, right? Yep. Fine. Um, does that mean the clock should reset for their chronological review, or should it that still be ticking the same way as it was before? That's that's actually a, a very uh, good question. So, what we've seen in um, in discussion with our our peers within the uh, financial world is usually depending on what type of um, trigger that gets pulled uh, will determine whether you reset the clock. Um, so if a trigger such as a client becoming politically exposed happens, you tend to do a full KYC review of, of the file. You make sure everything is in order, everything's in line, source of wealth, source of funds is verified, etc, etc. And then you would start the clock. But if a n immaterial trigger review is um, triggered and you do a light touch of a review based on that trigger review then usually the client will let the clock tick on and then you would you you would you would uh, review it um you know at the next at the next uh, available section so it, it's one of these things that you know you, you need to take a risk-based approach to uh, that review uh, it's no it's not good enough to uh, reset the clock every time you do a trigger-based review unless you've done a full review of the file in my humble opinion. It's all about the risk-based approach, right? Yeah, Every, yeah, yeah. Everything in compliance is always about your particular risk appetite and 
and what makes sense for your particular business in the end. Yeah. Perpetual KYC, ongoing monitoring, whatever you want to call it, it's incredibly difficult to do. It sounds like this is a very layered and very complicated situation for any finance institution that's trying to get ahead of the situation, trying to trying to make sure that they don't get fined, really trying to stay away from enforcement actions and you know please the regulators so they can do their business. I think that's what is so good about the Finergo Perpetual KYC product. What we do is we make sure that your investor or your client file is as uh, accurate and complete as possible when it comes to your chronological reviews. So it automates the trigger-based process. It makes sure it talks to third-party vendors who have beneficial owner information, have legal entity information. It talks about uh, other uh, third-party vendors around financials and and any credit risk profiles. And it makes sure that when you come to sign off your file, uh, you can concentrate your time on high-risk or medium-risk files because your low-risk file is, is, is... as in order as it possibly can be. It will still need under um, most legislations uh, some form of you know, physical uh, sign-off from an individual. But, you know, in theory, the vast majority of those files will be a, 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 a tick and sign-off process. Oh, that's what we strive for within Finergo. Which, which makes sense. And uh, obviously everyone should buy the Finergo KYC product. <laughs> uh, but if we, if we zoom out from that for a second... When it comes to implementing that, when it comes to building the rules around that and building out what the trigger should be and what the chronological review should be, and just the, you know, the actual compliance guts of it, right? There, there seems to be a lack of um, of clarity from the regulator as to what that should be, and also um, a lack of willingness from financial institutions to to stray away from what everyone else is doing. And everyone wants to be part of the pack, right? Everyone, no one wants to be that lone wolf who, you know, is getting picked off alone and left in the cold. Yeah, I how think, do they make sure that doesn't happen? I, I think that's um, if we, if we go back to our original statement uh, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, financial institutions are very, very good at transaction monitoring processes. Financial institutions are very, very good at onboarding processes, mm-hmm. but our feedback we're getting from financial institutions is although they will have a review process they're not quite confident that it's exactly you know uh, that they're not the, the lone wolf um when we did a presentation with acams last year uh, or 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 sorry a, a couple of months back um we did a a, 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 a synopsis of perpetual kyc and ongoing monitoring and it, it was well oversubscribed and the the area that we we found with financial institutions is they want to make sure that they're doing what they're doing for ongoing reviews um in line with what with their peer groups so that you don't have a lone wolf situation so what um you know Fernergo does with its community-based approach is it brings financial institutions together to discuss how they're um complying with certain regulations including ongoing reviews to make sure everybody realizes that they're you know you know everybody obviously will have different products different jurisdictions different client risk appetites but they're at least doing it in the same sort of structured way as everybody else um because there's nothing a regulator dislikes more than somebody who's doing a a pro
process that it's laid out in its guidelines in a totally different way to every other financial institution. Right, and I, I guess part of that is the regular can't find everyone, can they? Uh, if if you're doing what That's everyone what else is yeah. doing, then in theory they can. But <laughs> um, you you know, if if everybody is doing a, a a compliance function incorrectly according to the regulator, then maybe the regulator needs to look at itself rather than those financial institutions about you know how it dictated those policies in in their guidelines or their well, interpretations. Well, that that brings me on to my next point. Right, is that the regulators are not being very prescriptive. Like, they, they, they're very clear that KYC has to be done. Yeah. And I think often a lot of the explanation around how it should be done is quite clear. But when it comes to perpetual KYC, that prescriptiveness, that, that uh, real direct layout of what needs to be done when, it just doesn't really seem to exist. Why is that? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a very good point. Uh, when you when you look at guidelines, even even if you look at the JMLSG guideline or the Central Bank of Ireland guideline or Mass guidelines or HKMA, they're they're very um well, you know, they're very um prescriptive when it comes to onboarding processes. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to get client data, you need to verify client data, you need to um, uh, unwrap beneficial owner rules. You have to make sure that you know you know the nature and purpose of the uh, of the arrangement, and then you get this like. Um, comment when it goes about ongoing reviews and they say you have to do an ongoing review at you know you know periodically and you know most jurisdictions will, will give you you know uh, the minimum years amount but it will be like an afterthought it will it will be more you know your business best you know your clients best and you know your risk based approach best so it's up to you to uh, dictate what your ongoing review process should be and if it's wrong we'll fine you right i mean that's that's a very tough position for them to take for for businesses right i mean it's interesting to use the word afterthought there yeah maybe that'd be a bit of an exaggeration (laughs) but but i do feel that every like i've gone um one of the things that you know fenergo is famous for is having aml rules and cdd rules across 120 jurisdictions so you know, part of my team's processes of reading AML legislation and AML guidelines through those 120 jurisdictions and, you know, taking everything we have in, when you look at the legislation and the guidelines around ongoing reviews, it's it's at such a simpler level than the, the more intricate pr- prescriptive nature of, you know, your onboarding client due diligence and it, it, your transaction monitoring you due diligence which are which is far more um set in stone and far more less open to interpretation well i mean that that all makes that all makes sense but actually i don't i don't know if uh, i agree that afterthought was too much of an exaggeration <laughs> because when when uh ongoing reviews are done you know Who's conducting those reviews? It's the it's the same people who have done the onboarding, right? It's the same KYC analysts. And that, that brings up a huge issue. So talking to our peer groups, one of the biggest issues that we see is that um, the people doing ongoing reviews tend to be the same people on the onboarding section. So um, let's say everybody has seven hours a day to do their job. Um, they have a list of clients that need to be onboarded or need to be uh, conducted client due diligence. That these people that are being onboarded get a preferential treatment than the reviews because the quicker you get a client onboarded, the quicker you can begin 
making money from these clients. So they tend to get a, 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 an emphasis on getting the clients onboarded. And then as a secondary job, they need to do their, their client reviews. So the, the problem is that they're, they're all allocated certain hours to do certain jobs. And the great or the, the issue is that um, what happens on those busy days where you have too many onboards for you to actually check your, your review sections? it may get put onto the back burner for the day. So when we see, and we hate to use this word because it, you know, it, it fills compliance professionals with dread, but when we see backlogs, backlogs tend to be in the areas of surrounding regular reviews, trigger reviews, et cetera, et cetera, because there is an emphasis on getting uh, uh, in these sections around being uh, onboarding clients rather than the review section because they tend to have started their li their their life as a, an onboarding section and then they you know when the legislation starts progressing to include regular reviews they were taken on as a, as an extra role so it does unfortunately sometimes from a pure cultural point of view get put to a secondary role yeah see so it does like uh, by the regulator making it almost a maybe not clear, but almost kind of treating it as an afterthought. Yeah. But it's, it makes sense that that sort of uh, attitude would trickle down throughout the industry, right? Yeah. So one of the things that uh, that's essential with our perpetual KYC um, uh, product in Finergo is it gives managers the ability to assess how much work needs to be done. So um, assuming everybody is doing their job correctly and utilizing Finergo correctly, there shouldn't be any backlogs. And if there is backlogs being identified in the future, you know, extra um, FTEs can be um, allocated to the, you know, to, to make sure that it doesn't happen. Sure. And I guess, I guess the other side of it as well is that these KYC analysts that you've got trained up to onboard your clients, yeah. they need to be focused on that because that's going to reduce your time to revenue. That's going to make your company money. Essentially, the more customers, you, more clients, sorry, that you have interacting with your products, using your products, that's yep. that's how you're going to become profitable. But one of the things we've seen and some of the data that's come out is if you have a dedicated client file review section as opposed to, a, you know, a subsection of client onboarding, that because these people are doing reviews day on day, they're actually quicker at getting the reviews done and they're more accurate at getting the these reviews done because they become far more of a subject matter expert on client reviews as opposed to onboarding, which are very similar but have huge differences as well. Sure. And I guess the uh, the other side of things, right, is, and I mean, we, you touched on this earlier when you were talking about the, uh, the Fenagra product, but it's great to have people who are experts in a particular subject, even a particular client in your company, in your financial institution. But what do you do when that person leaves? You know, how, like, there's so much admin around this. There's, or they don't even need to leave, right? They could just be promoted up through the ranks. They could become, reach a manager level, maybe transfer to a different department. That per either way, that person is gone. How do you make sure that everything is staying correct? Well, it's it's, it's very difficult without a some form of perpetual KYC uh, lifecycle management tool. Without that, you, you know, you're... you're one of the major things when you when a regulator comes to, to visit you and he gives you or gives you the list of files they want to review is where is the file? Somebody needs to find the file. And then, you know, people have left so that, you know, 
where exactly was it saved now? You know, you need a centralized system, and that centralized system needs to link into your policies and procedures. So when you do have um, changeover or turnover, and let's be frank, when we're talking about client uh, onboarding or client uh, transaction monitoring or client reviews, turnover of staff is a huge issue. It, it, it tends to be, um, you know, uh, seen as a, as a stepping stone towards something else in the financial industry, something a little bit more financially rewarding. So we do see a huge turnover. So you need to have your policies and procedures integrated with your uh, ongoing review tool and you need to have a solid uh, MIS system, uh, management information system to make sure that you are comfortable that everything is being reviewed in line with your regulator uh, requirements. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think I think there's a, there's a huge, um, well, not just personally, I think industry-wide, right? There's this huge deficit of talent happening because we've got brain drain to various areas. Uh, people are constant. There's a, there's a huge talent shortage just globally anyway at the moment. Yeah. People aren't necessarily moving into finance. They might be moving into tech. Tech is a much more uh, attractive industry, I think, to a lot of yeah. people, especially a lot of young people. Um, well, actually, that's you bring up a very good point. So, um, something that we've seen since the uh, invasion of the Ukraine by um, the Russian Federation is um, the huge increase in uh, screening issues um, detected by. Um, by uh, financial institutions. So prior to the invasion, um, though obviously everybody was screened through the various, you know, OPAC screening, EU screening, UK screening. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, false positives being generated because, um, and this is a generalization, so uh, you need to take it with a, with a pinch of salt. The vast majority of individuals when identified through a screening process were false positives. They weren't the Charles Taylor of Libya. They were Charles Taylor who just wants to open a bank account in, in, in Warsaw in England. But since the invasion in the Ukraine, what we've seen is that uh, a huge increase in the amount of people who actually are in uh, the Western financial system who are not false positives. So they are actually the individual, the oligarch, um, that that has been sanctioned by by the by by the relevant government, and that has um, exponentially made a huge increase in the amount of work required by a a screening team. So, if you take, for example, a false positive, you're Charles Taylor in Wal in Warsaw, um, you verify that it's not the Charles Taylor from Liberia. And you document that on your client file um, you, you you mark it off and you move on to your next hit. What if it is the Charles Taylor from Liberia? Well, then you have to contact your client, uh, your, your, your uh, compliance department. They have to contact the legal department. They have to make a suspicious activity report, suspicious transaction report. You have to block the account, possibly close the account. You have to re-review the file Um, you have um. Then also, uh, you know, the, when the suspicious trans uh, review report, you know, goes to the, the FIU, they come back with questions. You have to dictate those questions. You may have to block the account rather than uh, close it. So you've got some ongoing uh, review uh, costs on an account that's never touched again. So it's exponentially more expensive now than it was prior to the invasion, because these people actually exist in the Western financial uh, system as opposed to what's happened previously where, you know, um, 
would have been a, a lot lower percentage of these people not being false positives. Yeah, I mean, um, I was gonna, I was gonna say this a little bit later, but let's let's get into it now. I I think personally that being a compliance officer, being a KYC analyst in like Poland, Belarus, Moldova, uh, Lithuania, any any of the countries that kind of borders or is near to Ukraine must be a nightmare right now. It's probably like one of the worst jobs in finance at the moment in terms of the sheer incredible workload they must be going through. Uh, how, just to tie it back to trigger events, perpetual KYC, ongoing monitoring, how do things like geopolitical change on the level of an invasion, uh, how does that sort of affect your trigger events when you're conducting reviews and when you're handling PKYC? Because this is a this is a huge issue, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's gonna it's far from the last one we're ever gonna see, right? There's there's uh you know there's gonna be other wars, there's gonna be coups, there's gonna be natural disasters, all sorts of things are gonna happen, causing massive displacement of people. And should that be included in your trigger events when you're conducting PKYC? Now, being a KYC professional in, in Poland is difficult at the moment, but it's nothing compared to being you know on the front line in the Ukraine. So it's, you, everything is everything is relative. Uh, so if we take it back to a more um, easier answer, if you are a financial institution in the UK, um, last month Croatia got uh, added to the FATF list of uh, monitored jurisdictions. So anybody uh, utilising, you know, businesses or or being from Croatia suddenly moved from being uh, client due diligence or simplified due diligence into a enhanced due diligence process. So that's a full trigger review. So anybody with a business market, anybody with beneficial ownership, enhanced due diligence. So you're checking source of wealth, you're checking source of funds, you're making sure you're doing your extra due diligence. And this is happening all the time. So, you know, clients in South Africa, when South Africa moved to the monitored jurisdiction, it, it exponentially increases the amount of work you have to do. And we've only got limited resources in the world. There is a dearth of uh, uh, AML professionals and fin crime professionals around the world. And that's one of the reasons that uh, there's such a move into perpetual KYC and artificial intelligence. It's not because it makes you know the systems cheaper. There just isn't the population in the world of fin crime professionals to actually do the amount of work that has to be done now, especially with the inv post the invasion uh, of the Ukraine. So um, this has caused us to see that we have a huge market for a system that makes sure your low risk clients are in line with expectations when you come to review the file, because under a risk based approach, and we always go back to the risk based approach, you should be spending your time on high risk files or medium risk files. And that's where you should be spending your attention to make sure that your businesses are comfortable with doing business with these people. And, and so speaking of the high risk and the low risk and the medium risk clients, how how can you be sure, or how can compliance officers be sure that they're doing their PKYC correctly when it does come to these people? Because these 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 high risk clients, these these all these clients who are categorized into whatever risk rating you prefer, they it almost doesn't matter their risk rating when it comes to doing the the analysis, right? Obviously, it matters in terms of the depth, but what matters is that you're doing it on a regular basis and that you're sat doing it to the level that satisfies, that regulates, that you're not suffering from an enforcement action, right? Yeah. How can you... I mean, this goes back to our thing of staying as part of the pack, right, and not being that lone wolf. How can you make sure 
that you are achieving those goals and that you are reaching that level of um, of satisfaction for the regulator? Solid policies and procedures, making sure there are no backlogs and making sure that your high-risk clients are getting the attention, they're getting the verification, they're getting the data, you're getting your unwrapping rules at a higher quality and a much bigger verification process than your your uh, low-risk clients because that's that's what's expected of you. And in the 120 jurisdictions that we serve, it's all based on a risk-based approach. Um, you know, we're even seeing, uh, you know, in New Zealand bringing out, um, although the majority of, um, you know, tier one financial institutions in New Zealand are, are completing a risk based approach. Anyway, we're, we're seeing the, you know, risk based approach coming into law there uh, in 2025. So everybody needs now to have a proper risk engine, to have an ongoing review process, uh, as well as their, you know, onboarding client due diligence process. I think we've done well. You, to be honest, have done a really great job of demystifying PKYC as a incredible buzzword. Uh, but I'm going to go from one buzzword to another now, okay. uh, and just just to, just to wrap up. But how do you think AI, artificial intelligence, can assist with PKYC going forwards? So I actually knew this question would probably come up, and um, so rather than telling you my opinion, um, I decided this morning to ask ChatGPT. The okay. exact same question to see what their opinion was. So, do you want to hear what the yeah uh, yeah lay it on me what the seven reasons are? So, um, it's a, an efficient and scalable process. Uh, there's an enhanced uh, accuracy and risk detection. Uh, there's real time monitoring. There's advanced data analytics. Reduce re- reduction of false positives in your screening process. And adaptability in evolving trends and your costs and uh, resource efficiency increase or, or decreases. So, um, uh, ChatGPT was very um, uh, bullish about their ability to be able to do uh, ongoing reviews and perpetual KYC. Um, I think it's still in the early stages. And when we see the legislation coming out from Europe, especially around the AML uh, package coming into being, we're seeing that, you know, well, to put it frankly, you can't put a chatbot in prison. So there's going to be there's there's a need for an individual sign off on every file. Somebody needs to take responsibility for those files, Um, you know. It's you, you can't blame artificial intelligence for, you know, any failings in your financial institution. It's it's down to individuals. Although I'd say nothing's changed there, really. Right. Because you can't no. blame it. You can't put Excel in jail either. Right. And lots of financial institutions use Excel to as a linchpin of all of their AML. Right. Yeah. Well, they're tools. Yeah. Artificial intelligence is a great tool for um you know, for client due diligence and for ongoing reviews. But it's just a tool. It, you know, you have to use it correctly. Um, you know, there's there's no you, you can't you know you can't use a hammer to to screw a, a screw. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. And I, I guess uh, at least at least AI is bullish on AI. I mean that there should be something positive about that, right? I'm not sure entirely yeah. what that is, but it's nice to know that AI is uh, well, positive about itself. Yeah, you know, if you, we look to the very very distant future, and when I say distant future, we're talking five to ten years. When we think about transaction monitoring and ongoing reviews and client due diligence and reporting issues to financial uh, intelligence units, it's very inefficient. 
mm-hmm. because you're making a suspicious activity report, which you you may have missed some of, of the activity through through uh, something else because you don't know what other financial institutions are doing. But with the use of um, artificial intelligence, if if we think about it, financial in- intelligence units could now take over, uh, well, in the future, can take over the whole ongoing transaction monitoring process. So they're getting information from other financial institutions. They can match it. They can match it up. They don't have to rely on going through, you know, large bulk suspicious transaction reports coming from financial institutions. They can do the work themselves because at the moment they can't do the work themselves because they've got a resource issue like everybody else. But they have a real resource issue because there's very few people working in financial intelligence units when as opposed to what should be there. So you could see um, financial institution uh, in FIUs taking over the entire suspicious activity and transaction reporting process. That's that's a nice idea. I would like I'd like to see that happen. To be honest, although I, something tells me that governments aren't going to want to dissolve that responsibility that FIs have to to oversee that things themselves. I think it'll probably be a a, a more of a working relationship between the two, right? Yeah, probably. Um, well, nobody, nobody likes taking responsibility for this, but somebody has to. Yeah, I agree. And and if you have all this information coming into your system, like you, 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 it is arguable that you are the best, you know, the best unit to actually uh, investigate uh, and actually come up with the truth. I mean, if if that was to happen, personally, I'd like to see the FIUs get a lot more power to enforce actions because oh, yeah. I think that would have to there would have to be a commensurate uh, enforcement action um, increase in order to justify them taking on that sort of level of oversight right well because they're getting information from all financial institutions they may be able or they should be able to identify issues quicker and before they actually you know become uh, a real serious issue so especially you know onboarding and the like so um I'm 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 quietly confident, you know. It also depends on what what's coming down from from FADF, but I and the Egmont Group. Um, or, but I I I can see, you know, a long way down the road, it being taken, um, that FIUs could do the job possibly better than the the the, the way it's done at the moment, which is inefficient. And has a uh, scope for uh, issues being missed. No, I, I think that's that would be a, a nice world to live in, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think, and I think you're right, right? We are very much at the the start of AI and and the capabilities it can bring to this stuff. Um, and I think this is this is where it can be really interesting, right? This isn't this isn't AI taking jobs. This isn't AI. No, um, no, not at all. Doing anything negative. I, this is AI only actively acting positively for the world. And this is the feedback we're getting from our clients. We do not have enough people mm. to do the job uh, in an efficient manner. So we we need the tools, perpetual KYC systems, AI, to enable the people that we have in these roles uh, to do their job properly. Because it's very, very difficult to justify to a regulator why you have your AML uh, transaction monitoring team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, it, it, you know, um, if there's an issue and then all of a sudden, you know, it's found out that you, you're you under-resourced, well then, um, you're talking about a, a very large enforcement. 
Sure. Rory, thank you so much for joining me today. My if, pleasure. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn or they can contact uh, fincrime at finergo.com and we will be more than welcome to, to, to speak to them. Brilliant. Thank you for listening to this episode of Finergo Fintalks. I'm Dana Lessigadu and I've been joined by Rory Doyle, Head of Financial Crime Policy at Finergo. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available wherever you get your podcasts and you can always find us at finergo.com. Goodbye. <laughs>